Greetings, rare ones, and welcome to the Rarebirds Emerging Market Podcast. I'm your host, Joanne. I started Rarebirds a few years ago because I wanted to learn the stories behind startups in emerging markets. This has since evolved into a multimedia brand with content covering the intersections of early-stage entrepreneurship, emerging markets, and blockchain technology. The Rarebirds Emerging Market Podcast is where I have conversations with startup founders, ecosystem builders, and investors from across emerging markets. We are now on season eight, exploring the Puerto Rico startup ecosystem. This is episode 170, featuring Fabian Velez Vicente. It is titled Tech for Everyday People. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. See you at the end. Greetings, Fabian, and welcome to the Rare Birds podcast. Hello, Joan. It's a pleasure to be here in the Rare Rare Birds podcast. Um, Yeah, it's an honor to be here. Great. So welcome to the family. You are officially a rare one now. And again, thank you for taking your time to share your entrepreneurial journey with us. So before we jump into the conversation, can you tell us a little bit about what your life was like growing up in Puerto Rico? Sure. So basically, I grew up in a small town called Sidra, which is a municipality here in Puerto Rico. Uh, It's a very rural place. Uh, You have sheep, you know, it's like the countryside of Puerto Rico and all that. Uh, And it was very nice. It it was a very good place, a very, very uh, place with a lot of good energy, uh, family. So it was kind of like, you know, small circle family and all that, but it was really, really good. Uh, the only thing that <laughs> I, I do kind of like say that I have like a, some sort of PTSD on <laughs> it's okay. the, the the slow internet and the dial up, <laughs> which okay. obviously growing up loving technology, it's been it was a challenge to work with that. But I'd say, you know, that was kind of good because it also made me find creative ways to work around those limitations mm. and kind of like work on that. So overall okay. really good experience in in Sidra. In Sidra, give me give well give us a a sort of idea of where this is compared to the capital Sangwan. Yeah, so Sidra is in the east center of the island. Okay. Uh, so it's if you count it in minutes, it'd be around 45 minutes to 1 hour from okay. the capital. So it's okay. pretty pretty down the center. Uh it's almost it's Closer to Ponce, which is Ponce. like mm-hmm. the, they, a lot of people call it the South Capital of Puerto Rico. It's one of the center hubs there. Yeah. Uh, than anything else. So that's a good reference point. Okay, cool. Is that growing up there? Is that where you got your, your nickname Favo? Or did that happen? <laughs> did that happen later on in life? So Favo happened uh, because I, so I studied at school in Calle, which okay. was, it's literally beside the sea that it's like 15 minutes away. It's not a small town. And I had some friends and, you know, all the gaming craze, you know, Xbox and all that. And we started playing uh, Xbox specifically. And some somehow I came up with the name Favo Quicksilver. <laughs> <laughs> and and that's when people started calling me Favo from that, from there on. And it just stuck. It stuck there for, for a while. And I, I, I personally like it. Sometimes I, I get confused. Funny enough, there's a there's a famous rapper here in Puerto Rico called 
Jambi El Favo. Okay. <laughs> and, and yeah, and people like joke around with that too because the similarities, but uh, but yeah, that's El when it Favo. really came out. Okay, Favo. Yep. So that, that's what we're dealing with for this podcast, Favo. Cool. <laughs> so Favo, tell us, when when did you get introduced to, to tech? Sure. So technology for me, I think it was more of a natural thing, right? Like I was lucky enough in my hometown that my parents had a, we were one of the first people in the neighborhood to have computers uh, and have internet access there. So we're pretty lucky there. I'd say my first few interactions with technology was when I was seven years old or, or, or eight years old, really. Uh, And it really started with gaming. I used to play a lot of games. Uh, There was this one motorcycle game that was really good. I really liked it a lot. And, and overall, yeah, that was really like when I started going to technology, we st- I started using dial-up internet. So, you know, the mm. beeping and all that, oh my <laughs> very gosh. slow connection. Yeah. Mm. Uh, but really, you know, when I really started getting into it, it was probably around when I was like 12 or 13, because I, I started noticing that naturally a lot of people in my school asked me for help in tech-related stuff. And I was, I, just, I helped them, of course. There were my friends. The teachers also asked me for help. And, you know, eventually I was like, hmm, there, should, there has to be a reason why a lot of people ask for ask help from me uh, in, in a tech space. Maybe I'm good at it. <laughs> so that's where I started, like, digging into it. Uh, also, my computer, I used to have a, a computer there that was really slow. <laughs> and it was good for the time, but it was pretty slow on standards nowadays. And I used to want to run like a lot of crazy games and complex things. And I just found creative ways to hack around it. Like I overclocked the CPU, added RAM to it and just naturally, you know, like got into it because of my, of the, of me just wanting to play like cool games that had good graphics and wanting to do complex stuff in computers. Okay. So it just came natural to you. And then you went off to study, uh, computers in university, right? Computer science or computer engineering? Right. So eventually, um, when I was finishing up high school, right, I had to make a decision between uh, what I wanted to study. And that's where I really started looking at the computer thing as a serious career for me. Mm-hmm. And I started learning some C language, C++. Um, I did a lot of command line uh, and, uh, and a lot of that fun stuff. Uh, and uh, Eventually, yeah, when I went to college, I had to decide between computer engineering and computer science. I decided on computer engineering because it also takes into account the hardware component of the computer, which I was very interested in and still am. So uh, that's what I decided to go on. And from there, besides the computer engineering uh, studies I had, I also took some classes on a school here in Puerto Rico called uh, Code Charters. Uh, and they have uh, very nice curriculums on web development and uh, back-end, front-end development, UI design, UX design. And that's where I really got started off with my career as a developer and a programmer. Yeah. And speaking of your career, you have so much going on. So mm. tell us, outline, I mean, I read <laughs> your bio and I was just like, okay, Favo doesn't sleep, first of all. <laughs> So tell us, I mean, you're a full stack developer. I know that, but you've got a lot of other things going on. So I'll let you tell us a little bit about, you know, your your CEO role and then you're the CTO of of Viva Advertising and all the other things that you that you're that you're working on at the moment. Right. So I'll tell I'll tell it 
kind of a in a story format so that sure, all sure. so all the stuff Perfect. that's happening makes <laughs> makes sense yes um, th- the first thing that happened was after uh, I, I imagine there in 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 China and some of the some of the rare birds in in, in your audience heard about Hurricane Maria uh, mm. which was yes. uh, it really devastated Puerto Rico uh, really hard and after that happened I before that I kind of like started out doing developer jobs and you know like freelancing on web development doing websites on inside of college and, and some small companies around uh, I really started at a clothing company like developing their e-commerce site and and that's where everything started in terms of my career uh, now slowly after the Maria thing happened uh, obviously there wasn't any power and there wasn't any any internet anywhere in the island for like three months, so I had to reinvent myself in terms of how I what approach I took to my professional career, and that's where I started going to this accelerator here in Puerto Rico, uh, a business accelerator called Parallel Eighteen, which I strongly suggest you and your audience look into it. It's really good. Yeah, people been, across all I've the been, world i've been stalking them for a while parallelly yeah 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 so so they're yeah. they're amazing and uh i know the people they're very good people and they actually were one of the first places in puerto rico after maria that actually had good internet uh, because they had fiber optic and they were all underground cabling and all that so they were they were good to go so we came uh, i started going there as a last resource to kind of like uh, get internet uh at the time, I was also taking a course at Stanford, uh, a program called the University Innovation Fellows. I was finishing that up, uh, specializing in design thinking and all that. Yes, and I, I saw that. There's a bit of that about you on on the web. Yeah, yeah, and and it's, it. yeah, yeah, and, and I and I love uh, I love the design thinking. It's such a great methodology, and that program was really really good uh, from Stanford. So, I uh, I was finishing up there, and then. I started looking at ways to reinvent myself and just naturally I met at Parallel 18, uh, Pedro, uh, Ricardo and Guillermo, which were the three co-founders for what is now known as Link Puerto Rico. And we really started, we created it because after Maria, a lot of, a lot of tech entrepreneurs were coming to the island, specifically in the, in the blockchain space. And, you know, obviously a lot of people that come here to the island, here we have Act 20 and Act 22, which are tax incentives. So that's a big part of why a lot of people come here. But we also saw good people here in, in that were coming in the island. And they were kind of like looking for ways to collaborate with local people. And me as a Puerto Rican and my co-founders were like, hey, we have all these people coming into the island with a lot of capital and a lot of uh, technological knowledge why don't we prepare and, and educate people here in the island about what blockchain is so that we can help them collaborate and work together with all these people that are coming into the island so that's what we really started doing we started doing workshops on blockchain <clears throat> once a month actually uh, or sometimes even twice we did hackathons for uh, programming blockchain solutions the first one we did was hacking democracy which we we had participants creating software to uh, see government contracts and track them, make them public on the blockchain and all that. Nice. And yeah, so really, really good stuff. And we also, uh, yeah, we basically started doing all these events, bringing all those people that were coming into the island to the events to see the talents. 
Uh, we actually even got people who got hired by these people. So, you know, we were kind of like, look, we were like the bridge to all these people coming in, these tech entrepreneurs coming into the island to the local people and the knowledge they had uh, on blockchain. So that's what we did there. Eventually, though, we noticed that on, on the blockchain space, uh, a lot of people in the San Juan area, which is the capital, as you mentioned earlier, kind of like got it and were really into it. But as we started going to different parts of the island, like Loisa, which is another municipality, we also went to Ponce uh, and other places, uh, Guayama, which is another municipality. We started noticing that blockchain was a topic that they understood the basics of it, but they didn't look at technology as a way to build things. They saw technology as a consumption medium. Right. And this is mostly because of social media, um, you know, it's not completely their fault, but it's definitely a trend that technology is being used a lot more for consumption than for creation. Uh, and at least in the and specifically in the older crowd here in Puerto Rico, like 45 plus and all that, it's, that's a that's a real problem. So what we started doing is that we shifted to our motto now, which is create a culture of technological creators. So we started going to all these municipalities and started teaching about the basics of uh, technology, how to use a computer, how to use a cell phone, how to, how to do Google searches, how to research, how to do, use all these tools that most of them are free for the benefit of them and their professional lives. Uh, one, of the, one of the stories I, I like the most about Link, I actually have two. The first one is we, once we went to Guayama, which is a municipality I mentioned earlier, and we had a crowd of, of uh, I'd say 30 people Obviously, this is before COVID. And all of them were 50 plus. All of them had more than 50 years of age. And, you know, it's not a concern in terms of what they are as a person. But here in Puerto Rico, that usually means that they're not technologically savvy or at least not not, not too into technology. And the workshop we were giving at that day was how to create a website in less than 60 minutes. Mm, (laughs) So, So I was like, I was like, Okay, so I have all these people that probably most of them didn't even bring their computers. They were all on their phone. They were expecting to create their website on their cell phones. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and I was like, okay, this is going to be a challenge. Mm. Uh, and we were using WordPress at the time. Uh, and luck- luckily enough, we ended up with over 90% of the people that, were, that went to the workshop, they ended up creating their website in their cell phones with WordPress. So that was a really magical experience. And the second story in under is 60 minutes in, in under in 60 a... minutes. Wow. Yep. And okay. it was, that, that, that was just a test to see, you know, like it, it was challenging, but it was truly a test that uh, what we're doing here and the, the technology has gotten to a stage where anyone can jump into it and create. Uh, mm-hmm. And just to summarize here, another one of my favorite stories is uh, a Loisa project we're doing right now, which is, uh, basically focused on creating a, uh, a a technological hub for the community, of course, with all the COVID guidelines in mind, uh, and just giving them free access to internet. We have a hotspot that gives internet for like 50 yards from the community center they have there. So we have people in their houses that have free internet that we installed. And also we gave computers to the community uh, and we and we gave uh, we also set up computers at the community center itself. So we have kind of like a nice, really technological center 
uh, and, uh, and that community. And that's currently ongoing and we're currently giving workshops on different topics, same topics as Guayama, like how to create your website, access to information, how to use a computer, how to use your cell phone and all that fun stuff. So that's basically with Link. Uh, okay. With the Viva Advertising Agency, this agency, I started it also after Maria, a little bit after I started Link. And mainly it was because I, uh, a, a friend of mine, which is called Juan, uh, came to me and he was really involved in the music industry. And I've always loved the music industry and I'm also a, a musician myself. Yes, I, I read that too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you did it. You did a great job, Joan. You did a really good I, job. I <laughs> researched researched you thoroughly. <laughs> so with that, um, Juan just brought me into this concept they were building. They wanted to basically the challenge we have in Puerto Rico is that we have a lot of small artists uh, that don't have capital to like build their 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 online presence and kind of like market their music uh without signing with a with a major record label which is not a bad thing but it definitely is something that might tie the artist up in a record label and you know some artists just prefer to be independent so if with Viva advertising he would he had this concept about making any artist be able to market their music and make it accessible to the world uh without much capital so that was that was what we did uh we started marketing artists we've worked with a bunch of artists local and international uh and we've really really helped a lot of artists grow their their music and their online presence uh and now uh eventually as the chief technology officer of the company now we're focused also in small businesses so we're really taking the advertising and making it accessible uh, especially specifically the online advertising and making it accessible to any company uh, be it uh, regardless of size or capital. Uh, and we're offering content, online strategy, um, consulting, and you know, you name it. It's like a full service agency. Uh, and the last thing I do, I, I feel like I've been talking for a while now, but the, the last thing I do is uh, I also work with Jerry, which is uh, Jerry Stories, which okay. he is, uh, he's like an online content creator and he does uh, YouTube videos about um, different influencers and teaching, basically teaching people how to create content online. And, okay. and I manage him. I'm like the manager. So I help him find uh, partnerships, deals, uh, uh, gigs, and, you know, all that, all that stuff. Brilliant. Brilliant. Now I know what you're really passionate about is tech for everyday people. And yeah. I, I feel like that's, that's what you do, I guess, mostly that's what you do as at, at Link Puerto Rico, right? It's all about yeah. empowering the community. So why is that important to you? Why does that matter to you? Why is that something that you've decided to focus so much on? Because I mean, like you said earlier, um, so many people see tech as consumption, right? But you've, you've right. taken it a bit further where you said you want to empower people so that they can understand the technology and, and right. how to use it to benefit them as opposed to just consuming. So why is that something that you think is important? Well, primarily, I'd say the reason is because as a person, uh, as, and it's good that I, I told the story, truly, because we can all like, connect the dots now. Mm. I, as an individual, when I was growing up, I loved the technology. And I really, really had a lot of challenges uh, with the internet, with the, cap the the access I had to tech, with the tools I had. 
And I feel that technology nowadays is, and, and like such as internet, it's, it's a basic need of people to at least to live their lives and to be able to fully access all the information that the, that the world has to offer. Um, and I feel that currently one of the biggest challenges we're facing as a, as a society is making technology accessible to everyone and not just making it accessible, but making good technology accessible. I mean, we, we want to give technology that we, we don't want to give unfair advantage to someone uh, that has like a better computer than someone who has maybe a, a, a worse computer, but maybe has a, a great idea uh, or, or, or a great initiative to work on. So that's really what it goes down into. It's me wanting to give everyone access to that technology and to that good quality technology so that they can build whatever they want and they're not limited by that. Uh, like maybe I was when I was growing up. Yeah, so it's it's personal for you. At least it started from from your own personal experience. You know, yeah. I found I found this quote by uh, Peter Rex. Uh, he's a founder of a, a company called CEO. I think it's he's the CEO of Trustwork or something like that. But anyway, the quote says, "Human potential is broadly distributed. People everywhere mm -hmm. have the ability to create and invent, to spot opportunities." solve problems and create businesses and then he continues and he wraps it up by saying what they lack are the productive tools those in the tech world take for granted and mm. i saw that and i thought of this conversation because i feel like that's that's a big part of what you're trying to do it's not that like you mentioned access and we can think of other words like connection connectivity and adoption when we're working with communities those are words that come up but i feel like it's just so much of it is is just about giving people the opportunity to use the right. technology to build with the technology you know right yeah and yeah i i agree john and that's a beautiful quote thank you for for sharing that uh it's it's about that it's really about having equal opportunity for everyone mm -hmm. and and so that everyone has like the baseline uh of a good pro a good tool a good technological tool that does not restrict them in, in what they want to do and what they want to build. Uh, and, you know, obviously it's, we can go deeper into it and, and talk about uh, cap uh, capitalism and all these other uh, political structures, uh, political structures and economic structures that limit this. Mm -hmm. um, uh, because obviously, you know, if you have more capital, you, in, at least in a capitalistic society, you can access higher things. Uh, communistic communism is a little bit different in terms of that it tries to distribute things equally, mm. but uh, I think there's a way that regardless of the economic uh, or political structure that the country is using, mm. I believe there is a way to make these technological tools a basic need or a basic utility to the point where nobody is is uh, nobody is if they like if anybody wants to access it they can access it. Nobody is is said no. You can't have access to this because you don't have enough money, or because you don't you're not inside the circle, or mm. or, or something around those lines. Yeah, I'd love for you to share with us what 
what is access like in Puerto Rico? Because I mean, Puerto Rico is unique, you know, it's an island in the Caribbean, it's independent, right. but it's a part of Commonwealth of the US. So it's kind of in between, you know, it's got right. emerging market characteristics, but attached to, you know, the world's wealthiest and most powerful, the most powerful country in the world, the US. Right. So what is what is what is access like in Puerto Rico? Like, can you give us a bit of like the overview of the landscape generally when it comes to right. tech and like your communities, the people that you're working with? Right. So Puerto Rico, it's it has a unique spot in in terms of its situation regarding its relationship to the United States because we're not a state. We are mm. a Commonwealth territory, mm. which is a colony. In other mm. words, yes, it is um, modern day colony. <laughs> exactly, yeah, yeah. And and this this was forged by um, Luis Muñoz Marin, which was uh, a governor here in Puerto Rico. He did a lot of great things. And, you know, he kind of like looked at ways to make Puerto Rico part of this, as you mentioned, this nation called the United States that still has a lot of power, still has a lot of economic uh, influence and access to really, really high technology and innovation. So he did that with that intention. And, you know, at some, at, to some extent, I think it was a good thing that we're, we're in this position because we do have access to federal funding and a lot of things that if we weren't related to the United States at all, we wouldn't have. Um, but one of the things that limits us the most is that, you know, companies, for instance, I, I'll, I'll tell you a story. Yesterday, sure. I'm, I'm trying to look for, for a online VoIP, like a voice over internet uh, service mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, for, uh, for Viva Advertising. And all the services, all of them, they were like, and in their website, they're like, hey, we're available to all the United States. <laughs> and then when you look into the small letters, they're like excluding Puerto Rico, um, the Virgin Islands, and any U.S. territory. Guam, American Samoa, like, etc. Et yeah, cetera. exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, Guam and all that. So, mm -hmm. so I was like, okay, well, that's not fun. Um, they, I, I was, I feel like you know, I feel like cheated because it's like they're advertising this, and we are part of the United States, but it's complicated. So most mm -hmm. companies don't take us into account in that sense. So just by that fact. A lot of technologies here in Puerto Rico take a lot more time to arrive uh, here than in the States. So companies like Google uh, and all these big tech companies, they roll out things US only, and then the Puerto Rico receives it whenever they decide to do so. So that's the thing, that, that's, that's one of the challenges. Mm -hmm. The second thing is internet. So here in Puerto Rico, luckily there's a lot of startups now growing that are starting to use uh, fiber optic cables for internet. So the infrastructure has really improved and there's a lot of projects to build up better uh, underwater uh, fiber optic cables that reach Puerto Rico and give broader internet access to the island. Uh, and, but fast internet really is limited to high population areas. So San Juan, uh, Caguas, uh, Ponce, Mayagüez, mm -hmm. like these are the big cities here in Puerto Rico and mm -hmm. Dorado also, which, where, which is where a lot of uh, tech entrepreneurs are moving into now. It really is limited to those places. Uh, for instance, my mother and my father at their hometown, uh, they have, uh, just to give you an, uh, uh, an approximate number, they have a 10 megabit per second connection. 
That's the mm. most they can get. And mm. they pay over a hundred US dollars for this connection. Oh my goodness. That's yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> that's crazy numbers. Mm. So so yeah, so that that's a really big challenge uh, in terms of the connectivity and the access to services. Is it is the in internet is it is there a monopoly that's providing this internet service or so, is that why it's so expensive? Well, really the, the the issue here with Puerto Rico is that Puerto Rico has a very complex um I forgot the word in, in English, but like the the landscape, like it has it has a lot of mountains. Gotcha. It has a lot of a lot a lot of uh, uh, complex um, terrain. Okay. Uh, okay. And hard to reach areas that okay. people live in. Right. So sometimes companies here do the same thing that they do in the states. Like they just buy the cable, the the line that transmits internet, and you know they control it. So the other company has to use another line to do that. And what happens is that, for instance, to go with the example of my parents' place, they only have access to one provider. Mm -hmm. uh, so overall, there's a lot, there's like four main providers, like Liberty is another one, Liberty Cable, Claro is another one, um, AT&T AT also mm -hmm. offers home, home internet. Recently, they started doing that as well. Uh, but that's basically the three options you have. Uh, there's Aeronet as well. There's Optical Fiber. So there's a few companies that are good. Uh, but they're very limited uh, to uh, high density populated areas. And the ones that aren't, uh, which is mostly Claro is the one that isn't, has a monopoly in all these hard to reach areas with really, really bad internet speeds. Mm -hmm. So you could say that it's uh, it's complicated as well, <laughs> but it also sort of, uh, it sort of is a, a monopoly in terms of access and in terms of uh, limited options for people in 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 rural areas mm, okay okay and you were going to mention a third challenge what was the third challenge right so the third challenge is equipment wise right computers um and access to uh, smart uh, to smart devices and to all this like high-tech equipment which i was going to mention it even though here in puerto rico it's not a big of a challenge because we do have Best Buy and we have other uh, brands here that have a lot of uh, the bring technology to the island. Uh, but unfortunately, we have physical borders. We're an island. So everything that goes into Puerto Rico needs to go through a boat or through an airplane. And that's a challenge to us because uh, when you're talking about big equipment, uh, when you're talking about prices of this equipment, of, get, of getting it here to Puerto Rico, it is very restrictive in terms of uh, all the taxes and all the uh, limitations it has physically and, and tax-wise. Yeah, these are challenges uh, faced by a lot of Caribbean countries, <laughs> yeah. uh, a lot of uh, you know islands, small island states, and also those that are still attached to sort of their colonizer, you know? So whether it's Guadeloupe right. still being attached to France or some of the, what is it? I think like Curacao still or Bonaire or whatever, they're still Dutch. You know, they're kind of in limbo because they're not right. independent, but they're still attached. And they usually are disqualified from so many opportunities as a result. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I'm sure a lot of people listening can, 
can relate to that. I want to get an idea of some of the communities yeah. that you work with. Like, are like are they specific? Like, do you work with say women only, or are you working with like specific disadvantaged groups, or like how what what kind of right. communities? Like, what's the demography of your communities, the people that you're working with? Right. So at least with Link, we are really focused on now giving all these workshops and all this knowledge and technology to communities that are uh, low resource communities. Okay. So we're, we want to, like we were conversing earlier, we want to really raise the technological baseline of these communities to where they can have equal access to that. So we're really focusing on those communities that have low resource and low income. Okay. Uh, and, and yeah, we're just impacting them uh, to, to the extent where we raise the bar and raise the technological baseline for them. Okay. And long-term, your goal is to see them start businesses with, with the technology that they're, because you said you want to create a culture of technological creators. So are, right. you, are you looking for them to start businesses or what exactly, like, what would be the ideal situation? Like when, when you finish working with these communities that, that they would have done, or is it just to expose them to the tech generally? Right. So great question. I, <clears throat> in terms of uh, what we measure of yeah. success yeah we really use um th the best metric we use is how much are they using technology and how are they using it uh, so we really look into what trends have changed for instance we gave computers to these community members and once we gave, gave them computers especially with all this COVID stuff happening they started really using these computers for educational purposes for getting their classes online uh specifically the students of course so that to us is an indicator that the technology is being good uh to them and it's serving their need currently long term we we really don't have a specific outcome in terms of like create businesses or or any or anything around those lines. Uh, mm -hmm. Obviously, it's a good thing if they create businesses. Yeah. It's a good thing if they create their own product. It's a, it's a good thing if they create their uh, their own uh, community solutions, uh, which is what we're really looking for. We're really looking for them to solve their community issues and their community challenges through technology. That's what we're really looking into. So when we started impacting these communities, we always do this design thinking workshop where we line out the biggest challenges they have as a community. Uh, and this is technology-wise and non-technology-wise. And we closely monitor how they are using technology to solve these challenges. And once people can solve their basic needs, like access, like take their classes, work from their home, and all this kind of stuff, then we start measuring how they, if they can build their own businesses. If they can, you know, evolve and they can start thinking of innovation, you know, because that's it's, it's like a step by step process. Right. First, you need to have all those basic things covered, like education, mm. uh, work, um, capital, which is a, com yeah. a, a computer. Having a computer is an immense access to capital and immense access to opportunities. It is. It is. And and from there, then we start measuring like, OK, are they creating businesses? Are they uh actually like creating products? Are they innovating? Are they uh, creating video games? Are they uploading content online? Uh, you know, it's, it's just a matter, we really measure what are they creating? 
And it, and the real question is if they are creating something of value, which to them, you know, it's not our job to measure if it's valuable or not. Right. Um, but it is it, it is a sense of if they're creating something, obviously for good purposes and, <laughs> and not for yeah. not for the bad of society, yeah. uh, then we're, then we're we're overall happy with that result and with the impact we did there. Fantastic. Final question for you, Favo. And this is a question I ask everyone that comes on the podcast. What lessons have you learned from your entrepreneurial journey thus far that you'd like to share with us? It could be one or more than one. That's a great question. So I actually, I I, I have a list. I wish I had it with me right now. I have a list of, of, <laughs> okay. of learnings. Um, uh, that's but, uh, great. I'd say, I'd say one of the one of the biggest things I learned is when creating a business, it's good to sometimes it's a good thing to start with an issue with a problem that you personally have, but you definitely have to start after you realize there's an issue. You need to also look outside of yourself and look at the community, at the market you want to impact. And see if it's also an issue there. Uh, mm -hmm. A lot of times people, especially in hackathons, for instance, people are, they just want to create, they want to program, they want to go get into, get in front of the computer and create the solution without really measuring, like empathizing if there's an issue, without really going into what are the challenges, what are the most important things that these people uh, have in terms of challenges that we can solve. So that's something one of the biggest things uh, I've learned. Also, collaboration is key. A lot of times we focus on, you know, being in superficial or even uh, non-existing beefs or some kind of like competition with uh, with other companies that do similar stuff to us. When if we sit down with them and if we discuss with them what they're doing and we kind of like share ideas, we can even grow together. Uh, you know, competition is is uh, is something that uh, will always exist. And even if you innovate in a space, people will always come in and want to follow you. So it's about turning those competitors into your allies and, you know, kind of like finding a place where everyone can fit in the market and uh, everyone can grow and have a piece of the pie. So that's one thing. And then I'd say the last thing I, I, I want to share um, is Business is a lot like a chess game, right? You need to really think things through and have a long-term and short-term strategy. You can't just be, you know, uh, walking around and just making decisions on the fly, uh, even though sometimes is needed, but you always need to have a firm direction in terms of where you want to go and what is your mission? What is your vision? What do you want to build? So, so yeah, so I'd say those are the, uh, the three main things I, I'd learned from, from business. Wow, that was so good. Okay, quick recap. So solve a problem, but make sure it's a real authentic problem that, that everybody needs. And you mentioned the hackathon, yep. which is so important because in hackathons at times, you just find people building tech for tech's sake because it's yep. cool, but it, it's not really solving a problem. And I guess that's so connected to, to what you do when you're empowering communities. You're almost like helping them to build for themselves, which is so right. much more powerful than saying, hey, I've, I've got this, can you use it, you know? Right. 
And then exactly. you said collaboration, which we know is very important. And then finally, have a long-term strategy, have a plan, have some direction. Don't just do things yep. on the fly, you know? Yep. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Fabo. So where can we find you? Can you tell us where can we find you in socials if people want to sure. connect with you? Sure, sure, Joanna. It's truly been an honor and a pleasure to be here and to to be part of the of the rare birds. I, I know you mentioned what was the name you called them? Like the rare the community? ones. They're rare <laughs> ones. Yes, they're rare ones. I, I love yeah. that. I, I love that. We're uh, all you. we're all rare ones. We are all special and we're all unique. So I love Absolutely. that tagline. Uh, in terms you. of where you can find me, uh, you can go. And uh, I have Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. I am on in all of them. I am under the handle Favoloso Boricua, which is F-A-V-O-L-O-S-O-B-O-R-I-C-U-A. I'll send a link to you so you can share it somewhere. Uh, I don't know if you in have the a description notes. or something. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, in the, show, the notes. show notes. Yeah, so we can definitely do it there. And okay. uh, and yeah, uh, that's uh, you can find me there. Uh, I also have a podcast, which uh, is called Reto Aceptado, which means challenge accepted in English. Okay. That, uh, that we also do. I do it with Jerry. Uh, so you can find that in Spotify and all the platforms. Is it English uh, or Spanish or both? So it's, we, it's both. We have okay, some episodes cool. that are in, in English, but it's mostly in Spanish, just as a disclaimer. Uh, but okay. if you want to get, if you, if some of your audience is Spanish speaking, which I'm sure there is, there and is. if, or if anybody wants to get, um, uh, uh, practice your Spanish <laughs> by listening to us speak for hours. Yeah, we can learn. <laughs> can, Why not? Yeah, you're definitely more than invited to join in the conversation and, and listen to us there. So, so it's been truly a pleasure, Joan. Thank you for the, the invitation. The pleasure has been all mine. I love your handle, Favo, Favoloso Boricua. Yep, Favoloso Boricua. <laughs> <laughs> so good, so good. Okay, thank you so much. All right, guys, that's it from Favo and I. And until next time, bye for now. Bye-bye. We've arrived at the end. Again, I hope you enjoyed listening in. If so, welcome to the tribe of rare ones. I'm really pleased that you're a part of the family. If you'd like to hear, read, or watch more great content, visit the website at www.rarebirdshq.com. Additionally, don't forget to subscribe to the weekly news to ensure that you don't miss out on what's new. Until next week, bye for now.